welcome back to Burnt Out to Badass. It is my pleasure today to be talking with Dr. Monique Valcor. She's an amazing PhD and MSc who uses her 20 plus year of experience to help those in higher education and academia learn, engage, perform, and communicate in all areas of life thriving. She tells about her story through academic burnout and what it's like on the other side. So let's get into this conversation. Welcome to Burnt Out to Badass, Dr. Monique Valcour. I used it. I threw the doctor name in there. Very nice. Hey, we got it, right? That's right. We're not doing the kiddo thing. Right. She is coming to us from France in the evening, and I am in Indiana in the afternoon. Tell a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump into your burnout story. I am a now have a self-customized portfolio career. I'm from the Boston area, spent a good bit of my career as an academic. I used to be a management professor, which is what initially brought me to France. My husband and I were living in a oh, pretty boring suburb, and I was not uh, doing exceptionally well in terms of my publications, so I needed a little bit more time for that, for tenure. So got an offer to come to France, a couple offers actually, one up in the Alps and one on the French Riviera. So it was mountains or mountains and sea. And we decided to go for the latter and we um, sold our house, put everything we owned in a container, dragged our very unhappy children out of their suburb uh, over to France and set up shop here on the Côte d'Azur in 2009 and you know just really loving life here it's uh, it's amazing so then I went to work for a business school in France for 6 years which is where my burnout happened but uh, after leaving there in 2015 I've set up my own business I have redesigned my career around exclusively work that I find fulfilling and engaging and my husband and I have a, uh, we're kind of amateur lifestyle gurus because we do live here high above the Mediterranean, both working at home, doing great jobs that we love that are secure and spend a lot of time outside hiking and eating fabulous food. Well, I love it. I know we found each other through the magic of the internet and some articles that you have written and the body of work that you've put out about burnout. So let's go back there. When do you think you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. When do you think the first flickering of burnout started happening in your life? Yeah, I would say it was pro. I was in a burnout state over definitely over a couple of years, and it really started to go downhill. So the last year was was really quite brutal. But I mean, probably two thousand and twelve, thirteen. I you know came to a job that. Uh, it was hard to sort of really understand from the outside exactly what the experience was going to be like in this particular organization. I did a lot of crafting to make it as good as it could be for myself. You know, for a while, I there were a lot of things about it that I appreciated. And over time, the, the organizational environment became increasingly toxic for me. And also, I was sort of taken away from the work that I found fulfilling. 
So it was, you know, kind of a getting, you know, it was getting a little bit bleaker and a little bit bleaker. And I did actually start to sort of uh, reskill a little bit, you know, think about adjacent opportunities, think about possibly, you know, how I might move on. But it, you know, I, it did get pretty hairy at the end. Isn't it amazing when we look back, we can be like, whoa, there that was. And like you were still swimming in the like toxicity of, I always think of, (laughs) this is terrible, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with the toxic barrels like floating around us. And we're just like, oh, this is normal. You know, it was interesting for me. I think for a lot of people, it really does. A lot of people have the sort of frog and the boiling water phenomenon. For me, I had actually done research on burnout. I was very familiar. I knew what burnout was. Um, It wasn't like I couldn't see it happening, but um, I I could see it happening. And that was actually, you know, really kind of devastating for me because half the time I was like, I can't believe I'm having this experience but it was really tough because, you know, we had moved to another continent. It wasn't, and I, there weren't other job opportunities. I mean, actually my, you know, the big decision that delayed my exiting from that situation was it really was about exiting my profession as you have experienced yourself being a medical practitioner, you've invested mightily time and resources and blood, sweat, and tears and training for this. Similarly to being a professor, you don't just like pick that up one day. Um, it's a strong professional identity, and it meant uh, that it was going to be highly disruptive, not just to my career, but potentially to my life. So it really required a great deal of, uh, you know, so I was eyes wide open the whole time. I could see what was happening, but it wasn't, you know, there was no simple solution. Yeah. So talk me through that a little bit. So you knew like, yeah, I'm like red flags all over the place right now, but it sounds like what you're saying is you were really felt trapped both internally with like your identity identification and externally because you moved across the pond to a whole new place to be in a new spot. So talk a little bit about what that struggle felt like internally. I was sort of bargaining with myself a little bit because I had You know, I really had this idea that I wanted to be a professor for the rest of my career. That was, you know, I had kind of said that was already a career change for me. And I thought, yeah, this is it. You know, I found it. And it wasn't the perfect fit for me. Uh, That's the kind of work where you just never, ever, ever done. So for somebody who tends to get anxious over work, et cetera, and have a hard time shutting off, um, it was a little bit tricky. But then, you know, I had been fairly happy in my previous faculty appointment. And then, Kind of the thing that was really tough for me was just being in an organization with pretty poor fit, which I think, you know, burnout is often about the fit that you have, whether it's with the organization, whether it's with you have, with the profession, you know, and I, I mean, for a while I was pretty angry at the experience I had. And it's been interesting as the years have gone by, I've really seen it more as a case of, you know, it was, it was poor fit, uh, but that doesn't mean it's easy to extract yourself you know, so for me, it was like, okay, if I were to leave, what exactly is this going to mean? I mean, what's it going to mean for my income? What's it going to mean for my employment possibilities? Does it mean that I'm now going to move into sort of a less satisfying job just to fill in the gaps, to bring in some income? So it was not at all straightforward. And I think this is what happens for so many people. You know, you have your loans to pay back, you have a mortgage, you Maybe you're a single parent that, you know, thankfully wasn't my situation. I had a husband with a great job, but still uh, to cut the, cut the family income in half was not uh, inconsequential. 
many times when I'm talking to people who are coming to me to a call or we're coaching together or somehow we've bumped into each other, I equate the five stages of grief with burnout because you do have to go through denial. You got to go through bargaining. You got to go through anger. You got to go through depression and to acceptance. And just like grieving isn't a linear pathway. It's the same thing through the recovery of burnout. And I love how you said, like you did the whole bargaining with yourself around the issues of income, status, employment. People come to me all the time and they're like, what are people going to say if they look at my CV resume and I've had five jobs in six years, you know, that I look like I'm jumping, you know? And, and so those are real fears to have, but it's also recognizable. And I hope people can hear too, like, those are negatable as well. You can move through that and walk through that. So you talked a little bit about how it felt internally. From an external perspective, like if somebody was looking at your life during this time period, what do you think they saw? What they would have seen is a lot of cynicism manifesting itself externally. Um, you know, so I got to the point where I you know, kind of all I could talk about was how much I hated my job and how miserable I was, you know, whether I was just with friends or, you know, kind of the colleague with were people who, you know, tended to be pretty disgruntled, et cetera. I had been a person who had had lots of great ideas about building programs, et cetera, in the early years at this institution. And it became much more of a survival fight or looking for some sort of support in terms, you know, solidarity in the misery of experience, which isn't really particularly useful socio-emotional support. So that's what you would have seen. You would have seen somebody who was unhappy, somebody who was very, very stressed. You know, I was trying to be healthy with my exercising, et cetera, but I was definitely drinking wine sort of medicinally to manage uh, my stress, et cetera. So you would have seen somebody who was definitely not at their best. And I also was, you know, I was having that declining professional efficacy element as well, in which I was finding it harder and harder to do my research. I can remember, you know, having a collaborative project and having a part of it that I was responsible for writing and delivering to the rest of the team. And I just couldn't do it. I mean, I remember being on the a call with my co-authors and saying, I'm so sorry. I just, I've spent countless hours at my desk and I'm just not making progress. It's right there in my heart too. I can feel that. Mine, I, I named them Sunday Dreads. It was like, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. I don't want to show up at that office. I don't want to see those patients and nothing against them. I just sure to do it. And so I can hundred percent relate to that. Yeah. Like I just don't have it in me anymore. I'm diminished. You know, I felt very, very diminished. Did you have like a dark night of the soul with your burnout when it was just kind of rock bottom? We, you know, it really started to impact my relationship um, with my husband, which was a rock solid relationship. And uh, we had one daughter at home at that point in time, one already gone to university and one still at home, kind of 16 year old. And, you know, kind of, we had pretty rocky relationship at that time. But finally, my husband and I went to couples counseling and we were sitting there, the counselor, and he finally said, I have no empathy left for you. Like I had used up all of the empathy (laughs) from this deep, deep well of empathy. I was just in such a state of misery that it was very, very difficult, I think, to be in relationship with me. So I would say if I could point to one sort of dark night of the soul, that that is a very vivid memory for me. 
I remember when my husband told me, I don't know who this bitch is, but I want my wife back. Yeah, right. Yeah, same theme. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit since we've, we've really gotten to the grunge of it. What was the journey like coming through and reckoning and dealing with the bargaining and the anger? This is a really important point for people who are in this space right now is it takes time to recover. It's not like you take a couple of weeks off, throw the switch and boom, you're back. You know, if, if you do that and then you truly are fine, you weren't actually burnt out. You know, you were overtired, you were stressed because like I said, I had to move through a period of kind of having been angry, having felt victimized. You know, I was not at my best in my final months at the job. I was being really rebellious and kind of withdrawing, et cetera. I'm sure, you know, from the perspective of the employer, I was a poor employee at the end for sure. And it took me some time. Luckily, you know, living in France, we have a phenomenal social support structure here governmentally. So I had generous unemployment benefits. I had some additional kind of training funding from my employer. Um, So I I had the space and the time to uh, you know, kind of rebuild myself to to rest up a little, to build up my own practice. And I had already started with coach training and certification the year previously. So I was kind of building a pathway out. It wasn't like day one, I left that job and then had to start from scratch. But it does take some time to sort of to reappraise, to shift your perspective, to see yourself as having been more at choice in how you moved through and being able to integrate that into your own personal experience. So, I mean, I think for many people who come through burnout, it ends up being, while a very harrowing experience, oftentimes it ends up being the seed of a life which is different, but better than they expected. I love that analogy of the seed. A lot of times I use the fire analogy that it burns away everything. And then what rises from the ashes is totally different. Yeah. Cause you are, you're, you are, at least I feel changed because of my. Oh, for sure. I mean, I am having the the life that I'm living right now is like the best life I've ever had. You know, I have cleared away. I have, I, I for example, never have a negative professional interaction ever anymore. Everything that I do, I choose to do. All of my collaborations are of choice. There's no organizational politics in my organization, which is a solopreneurship. (laughs) I can live wherever I want. I can set my own schedule. I can get eight hours of sleep a night, hike every day, relax with my husband after dinner, and still do work I love and make an actually a better income than I was in my last job. That was a huge pivotal point for me was the realization that I am not trapped. I am not stuck, that I have choice. Even when you feel locked in, you, you still, you have choice and like then exercising that choice and then seeing what happens, that downstream effect of like, oh, that invisible rule book in my head is not real. I can do these things. I can say those things. I think that's such a huge point. It's, and it, I don't know about you in my coaching experience, when a client gets there, it's magical because it's almost like the doors blow off. Yeah, a big weight is, you know, they're able to put down a weight they've been carrying. So who or what was most instrumental in this transformation? I was. 
You know, my primary research area was on career self-management. I did my dissertation on career self-management strategies and attitudes and had done a lot of teaching in that area, a lot of workshops. And I developed some years ago a sustainable career model that's about around aligning the content of your work uh, and the conditions of your work with what's most important to you, your values, your interests of building in renewal, of building in learning, of finding ways to have well-being, of being able to adapt yourself so that you're continuously employable. So I really applied those principles to my own life. Basically, everything that I recommend to other people, I have done myself. You know, there were signs fairly early in this job that there were some issues of fit. I mean, I remember feeling very, very uh, sort of like the you know, me behind the podium, there was a massive distance between that that space and the space of the students. It's a much, much more formal in France that you don't have the same degree of sort of conversation and discussion, et cetera. And I started getting coach training a couple of years before I left my job. And I just was so delighted by the intimacy that I experienced. So for me, you know, now having racked up you know, over a thousand coaching hours, it's almost been like a second PhD for me because I had the first PhD in research on organizational behavior and org psych. And then I've listened to 1200 hours of stories from people's experience. So, uh, you know, I have looked through a lot, a lot of windows into the professional worlds of many people. And it, I understand much more about work psychology now than I did just from having studied, you know, and read all of those thousands of research papers. You know, for me, it, it's been a process of taking time to take stock of what it is that I do that's, you know, me at who I am at my best, how I contribute, what are the conditions under which I perform optimally, what are the relationships I find energizing? What are the ways that I can best structure my time? Um, you know, I'm, of course, a work in progress, but a lot of reflection, a lot of experimentation, a lot of putting my principles into practice were really crucial. Of course, you know, when you're going through coach training, you always have lots of opportunities to get coached. That was certainly helpful. My husband was a great support, but uh, I have always lived by and advocated the principle that you should kind of lean towards what energizes you and try and reduce your exposure to what diminishes you. So it's been a, a very active and intentional process of doing that. That has been most important to me, I think. I find when we take our own medicine, <laughs> the things we talk so much about and teach on, at least I found this in my clinical work, you know, I didn't want to hand out prescriptions. I wanted to talk about modifying your life and decreasing yeah. your stress and like all of those things um, that when I took my own medicine and then I started doing it, it just made such fundamental change in my it's like, own oh, life. Oh, this and works. Think, <laughs> oh no. Right. But I think that's the important thing too, that I keep keying back on because it's not like you recover through burnout and then it never happens again. No, 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 no. This is like you said, a work in progress. This is this is a, how do we keep the car on the road? Well, we build guideposts along the side so you don't go careening off. And so that's one of my guideposts is like, what are the messages that are falling out of my mouth that I actually need to listen to and ingest and absorb for myself? 
And so just a quick question to wrap it all up here. What do you want listeners to walk away with and really know and then take the next step to do? I really subscribe to the belief that everybody has the right and the capacity to have joy at work, to have work be an enlivening experience rather than a diminishing experience. But we all have a hand in creating that. If you feel that you are experiencing burnout, you are absolutely not alone. Uh, Burnout is viral. It tends to appear in clusters where there are certain conditions, work overload and toxic relationships and bullying and unclear objectives, etc., You know, so unfortunately, though, most organizations treat it as an individual problem. Oftentimes it is seen as an individual failing. I mean, I've worked with clients in professional services, top firms, management consultants who I've literally had somebody to say to me, I would rather be in a serious car accident or get a cancer diagnosis than have this because then I could go to the hospital, I wouldn't have to go to work, and people would understand. And it wouldn't be, I wouldn't feel ashamed about it. So burnout is real. It doesn't get better on its own. I think it's really vitally important to pay attention to the signals that your body is sending you, checking in with loved ones, friends, how are you showing up? And if you are feeling emotionally exhausted, really cynical about your work, about your organization, and feeling like everything is way harder than it should be and you just can't do it, that's a sign that you need to step back and reassess. Uh, Because, you know, we get one shot at going through this life. And literally, you know, there have been studies on doing like a thousand interviews with people in their, you know, 80s, 90s, and centenarians. And the number one regret of people in that age range is having stayed in a job that they were miserable in. There's not just one job out there that's ideal for each person. Uh, there's lots and lots of different things. We are in a time period right now where more and more people are doing side gigs and putting together portfolio careers. It's really tough. I mean, at this moment with the pandemic, a lot of people are underemployed or unemployed or in situations where, you know, work is not optimal. Uh, My heart goes out to all of you parents with kids at home. Luckily, I'm an empty nester. So uh, we just have a a rowdy seven-month-old puppy. That's about (laughs) the most stress that we've got here. But it's a really tough time and it's making this, you know, the risk of burnout worse. There are always things that, you know, small steps that you can take. And I think it's important to be open about it. You know, I think it's actually a really important conversation to have in organizations. If you supervise people, I think you should be totally open about your own stresses. And I think you should seriously be checking in and seeing how people are doing, not with a, hey, are you okay? Or how are you doing? But how is the stress of this moment showing up in you and affecting you? Um, You know, what is your experience like? And what would make your experience better? Things like that. Absolutely. So powerful. Thank you. Such powerful message. If listeners are like, oh my God, I need some more of this. Where can they come hang out with you, find out more about you and your writing? I've been writing for years for Harvard Business Review. I've got a series of pieces on burnout there. I've got a lot of articles on, you know, general personal effectiveness, stress management, career management, leadership, 
etc. So you can check out my articles on hbr.org. You can check me out on LinkedIn. Uh, my website is www.moniquevalcor.com. I'm on Twitter. I think you have links in your show notes, etc. And I am, you know, very happy if you have listeners who are feeling like, yeah, I need to, you know, really look at this a lot more closely. I do a lot of one-on-one coaching. I'm happy to, you know, set aside some time to have a just a, a complimentary coaching consultation to touch base with people and see what they'd like to achieve and whether it makes sense for us to work together. And, you know, I just want to offer a lot of encouragement to people that, you know, it's really, you are the foundation of your entire relationship system, work system. So you really, self-care is, uh, is where it's at. Um, you can't show up and be your best self for your family, for your colleagues, for your patients, for your clients, if you are fraying at the edges yourself. So it's vitally important to respond. Burnout, it's like a, a warning light on your dashboard. It means you need to stop and add oil or let a piece cool down or change a piece out or, or whatever the situation may be. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on Burnt Out to Badass. You have just laid a whole bunch of truth bombs on us. Such good information. And I just want to tell you the badass in me honors the badass in you. Thank you so much. Namaste. It's not too often that I get to talk with someone who is a regular on the Harvard Business Review, but Monique, you are absolutely amazing. Check out all of her links in the show note to find more and follow her. And also, if you're ready for a badass community, come over and check out burntoutabadass.com. Lots of great resources. And honestly, I want to hear about you and your story and see where I can help. So remember, the badass in me honors the badass in you. 